Enhancing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios Podcast. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat. Dinner is served. Hey, we're live again. This is Joe McCarthy with my friend John Comfort on Mojo Studio Podcast. We're continuing our series called Good Stuff. We started this back on April 1st and we have had quite the ride. We've talked about some really sweeping issues, uh, looking at themes that are prevalent throughout human history and are, we think, are signs that God is intimately involved in humanity, concerned about us, and actually shows us ways that we can reconcile with our brothers and sisters, with ourselves, with our creation, and ultimately with him as well. Yeah, and it is big and it is sweeping, but at the same time, it's um, a phrase I've used all along, you know, my, for this many years even, it's just that so many of these things are simple, but challenging, you know? Like, you know, faith like a child, I think, is misconstrued a little bit. Children do best when they know what their boundaries are, when they have a sense of structure, when they have a sense of what is right and wrong based on not just their own choices, but on what mom and dad say or what um, the school says. And there needs to be a sense of fairness and all of that. But that, that, that the structure is actually good for the child. The child actually yearns for that. And, wants that and needs that and doesn't do well without it and so it is with us too adults need it even worse or even more so um (laughs) that we need to receive that discipline from god that is what it means to be a disciple but that means on a level that is mutually submitted like where you you're receiving that in fellowship with others but also from god on high in a relationship there on your own and then when that's mutually submitted and healthy it all falls into place in these nice beautiful but simple but challenging ways Um, but if you try to impose that on someone and say you have to do it this way and i'm managing your relationship with god for you directly that doesn't work as well, you know, and so it is, it's this, it's, it's very much this mutually submitted thing, but it's still rooted in these ideas of discipline um, and of self-discipline. Uh, and then that goes to this point of authority, you know, and it, that's right there, that's sweeping, but then simple, simple, but challenging is the phrase that has resonated with me for a long time, you know? Yeah. When I think about discipline, you know, initially it, I think all of us kind of recoil at that. It just sounds like, oh, no, not that. That's that's the last thing I want, the last thing I need. Well, it might be the first thing I need, but the last thing I want. Right. Top-tier athletes, people who do stuff, yep. the phenomenal things. How do they get there? They don't, they're don't. they just born with world-class talent. They, they don't right. just wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm going to break a world record today, and I'm going to be an Olympian. No, they have to go through the process, right? They, they discipline their bodies. They, oh they do extraordinary work which is painful to get themselves into a position where they can do something extraordinary and i can't help but think that when god says i discipline you it's not a matter of punishment right he's not looking at us and trying to say you bad bad person he's saying i've got so much more for you and for you to realize the potential 
the potential that's way beyond what you can even imagine. Right. All you need to do is submit, like you're saying, to this right. discipline, and the disciplines will actually prepare you and hone your skills so that you can do something way beyond what you could ever imagine or ask or even think, the Bible would say. Yeah, I mean, it's an abundant life that Jesus wants for us. People recoil from having to be disciplined, and they won't let anyone tell them what to do. We've been talking about the implication of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, obviously, is about racial stuff. And a lot of people do kind of recoil and say, well, not everything's about race. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But I am going to challenge you and say, I think basically everything is about reconciliation. And that makes the racial reconciliation stuff the low-hanging fruit, actually, as gnarly as it is. It's the one that we can actually kind of get our heads around the most um, because we've been thinking about it intensely, kind of for all of history as we've been talking about on this narrative, but then especially intensely in just these last 50 years, you know, um, 60 years, whatever. But yeah, the racial reconciliation stuff is fundamentally about reconciliation and being reconciled to God. And uh, the police officer, Derek Chauvin in Minnesota was convicted and uh, people have differing feelings on that kind of stuff. But it seems like most people are saying, yeah, I think justice probably was done, that he didn't do his job properly there. And um, I'm not trying to speak too sweepingly, but I think people do kind of recognize that more so. And that goes to this idea of discipline and authority and the, the misuse of authority that was a big deal and leadership has to be rooted in servant leadership and it has to be then meted out fairly and that you know like the scales of justice have to be brought into balance in response to the george floyd thing from a few years ago there was one commentator who was saying he was he was appearing very reasonable and this is where yeah people can have conversations if they'll really talk to one another and he was saying what some of these tougher communities need is actually more police, not less, because you have to maintain peace. You have to have a peaceful environment where, you know, people want to live and businesses want to be and all of these things. And I was like, yeah, that's true, actually. But what's required, what God requires is peace making rather than just peace keeping. And that's a crucial distinction and you have to get there yeah yeah and some people might listen to what we say and say well you know that's a nice theological idea or a biblically grounded idea but maybe doesn't play out in the real world recently i've, I've found almost everywhere <laughs> that i look that there are people whether or not they're bible believers or claim to be christians or not that are saying the same thing that authority is much different than leadership yeah. Authority may give you power, right, which can be abused. We've seen that throughout human history. Hmm. Leadership is the person who is willing to subjugate their own needs, their own desires, their own benefit for the benefit of those they lead. Yeah. That's what leadership truly is, is servant yeah. leadership. And whether they claim it to be grounded in what Jesus did and what he modeled for us or not, the truth is still the truth. And, uh, you know, I, Simon Sinek is one of my favorites. I listen to him all the time. And I don't even know what his faith is. He doesn't proclaim that publicly. But I do hear him saying, as and John Maxwell and many of these other leadership gurus, that if leadership isn't about serving the people that you're leading, then it's not true leadership. It's just authority. And as we know, authority can and will be abused because that's our nature. Yeah. You and I have been noting these serendipities all along the way. We had never mentioned Simon Sinek. 
yeah, we do see these universals at play all over the place. They are freeing when you can recognize them, but that is then being submitted to God and then mutually submitted to your neighbor. Parenthood is just the easiest one because God the Father has that parental relationship with us. You get to these places where you recognize that um, you're trying to get your children to want to make good choices. That's what discipline is. You don't want to have to try to control all of their choices because it doesn't work anyway. And it's this idea that while there are always appropriate balances and limits on these things, it really does take a village to raise a child. It's not just simply the parents. You don't own your children, but you are their parents, you know, that there are balances to all this. But these ideas of balance, so many people are throwing out the window. But I think so many people are yearning for too. You know, when I think about God as father, I've always put that in context of, you know, the familiar relationship on a more personal level. But we mentioned Simon Sinek earlier, and I just saw a video of his just a few days ago. And again, another serendipity here where he's talking about leadership and what is true leadership and how do you serve the people and how do you empower them and give them all the things that they need so that they can succeed. And he said, the best illustration of that that I can come up with is parenting, because as parents, we will sacrifice our own needs, our own desires, our sleep, our, our money, you know, all that kind of stuff for the benefit of our kids because we want more than anything. We want them to have all the tools and all the opportunities to succeed. And if they succeed, we succeed. And I'm like, hey, that that really applies to God too, because of all the ways that God could describe himself in his words, in his letters to us, he uses the word father. In the infinite, you know, transcendent God uses an intimate term to relate to us. And I think, you know, he he has all the authority, right? All all authority belongs to him. He's the one that created this in the first place. He could snuff us out if he so choose. But no, he he decides instead, I want to relate to you as a dad, right? I want to give you everything you can and need to succeed because when you succeed, it makes me happy. I dance over you with joy, the Bible would even say. I'm like, how, how would God ever be joyful in what I do? And then I think, well, if I think of it as a parent, I can see that when my kid succeeds, learns to walk or, you know, gets yeah. trained or rides a bicycle for the first time, I'm elated and I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm helping. I'm guiding. It fills my heart with joy to know that God's joyful when we succeed oh, and when his, his disciplines are designed to get us there. Right. It's it's not a have to. It's a, a desire. Do you want yeah. to? It's an invitation. Yeah, that's really well put. I think when people are really digging into the good stuff, you'll start to feel it. And one of the best phrases is when people will say that they can feel God's pleasure. And they might just say that they're really passionate about it. I would articulate that it's when you are, are doing the, the good works that God has laid before you. And when you are able to then walk in his vision for the vision that he wants for you, actually. There's a famous poem and play, um, A Raisin in the Sun. Langston Hughes wrote a poem. He was a famous African-American poet from the Harlem Renaissance era, uh, the first part of the 20th century. Um, And then a a woman named Lorraine Hansberry wrote a play called A Raisin in the Sun. And it's the question is, is that if you deny someone the ability to live their life according to what God would have for them, maybe, I might say, Will they shrivel up and die like a raisin 
in the sun, or sometimes I think that the grapes, when you put them in the sun, they explode. And are you, if you deny someone and put them under that kind of pressure inappropriately, do they shrivel up or do they explode? Mm. And that that then is this metaphor, because this is what they were intending, that this is what they were saying, that as African-Americans, they felt this pressure that they saw the people around them either shriveling up or exploding. And we don't want people shriveling up. We don't want people exploding. People need to be able to have that, I would say, mutually submitted balance to then pursue the visions that God has put before them. And I think this too touches on uh, something we've said before about the image of God. So the Bible in Genesis says that when God created men and women, he stamped, and we don't really know exactly what this means, but stamped his image on us. There's something yeah. about our very nature that is in the image of God. Again, theologians will yeah. debate what does that actually mean. But regardless of how you interpret that, if you if you can face another human being, regardless of their race, color, creed, and start with what we have in common, we're all human. We're all yes. made in God's image. We all have this great potential, right? The universe within us, as some, mm -hmm. some people would say, to do amazing things. I mean, history is filled with these people who have created things that just blow everybody's mind and, and breaking records and doing things that no human should ever be able to do. And they discipline themselves that we talked about before, but that they realize there's this potential in me. And if I can realize that there's that potential in you as well, perhaps I'll treat you different. Perhaps I'll treat you better. Perhaps I'll treat you the way that I would want you to treat me. Again, you know, it's this new mandate that Jesus Christ gave us of servant leadership and all this, but it is rooted in that golden rule and you can see that golden rule in i think every culture basically you know we're contending that the son of god came to earth and died and rose again and said here's how it works which is a repentant look to rethink it rethink what you think you already know about jesus christ to to look at it one more time because like it's always got something new for you and it's it points to the supernatural level of it one of the other uh, levels that's really jumped out at me in our discussions, and I heard this again from Simon, Simon Sinek this last week, he said, how do you find joy? How do you, how do you find love? You, you give it away. You yeah. know, if, if you're willing to give what it is that you really want, then it'll come back to you. This yeah. is the principle of sowing and reaping as well. Yeah. I think oftentimes we misinterpret the rules and regulations and disciplines as restrictions, right? That mm -hmm. it's going to keep us from really fulfilling, being fulfilled and finding what we want and, and meeting our desires. When the opposite is true, that this is actually helping us to find out that it is in the servant leadership, in the sacrifice, in the giving, as any yeah. parent would say, that it comes back to you. And in fact, here's where I began to realize why is it better to give than to receive is because when you give the person you give to receives and then you receive as well. So you yeah. both win, right? Mm -hmm. It's it double the, the uh, yeah. outcome there. If you're just on the receiving end, one person wins. If you give it away, then you get it back. Sometimes in measure, in great measures, pressed down, shaken together, running over to use biblical language. Yeah. And then, then there's way more blessing there than if you're just on the receiving end. So there's that irony that our, our human nature wants to protect and hold and grip and, you know, right. push others aside because we think that's where the fulfillment is. 
when the opposite right. is true and Jesus modeled it for us. It's in the giving away and in the sacrifice oh, that yeah. then not only does someone else win, but you win as well. Oh, Jesus Christ clarified that. And, um, you know, his words just pop off the page in ways that nothing else does. But it brings to mind something that um, goes all the way back to Ecclesiastes. Solomon is credited as this man who achieved more and had more and did more and had more and achieved more than everybody. You know, wisdom and money and women and everything. Ecclesiastes just builds up to everything and goes through all of this of realizing all of this achievement, how meaningless it is. And that the, at the end, the only thing that matters is obedience to God. The only thing that matters. One of the threads of our conversation has been this double-edged sword metaphor, right? The dualities that, that seem to be sometimes contradictory, these tensions. And as you've said, yeah. you know, without tension, you don't have a bridge. <laughs> and so sometimes yeah. it's uh, seeing that obedience is actually the same thing as abundance. It's yeah. the opposite sides of that same sword. And we want to divorce those things. We think yeah. that obedience is just self-sacrifice and self-denial. Well, it turns yeah. out that's where fulfillment comes in. Right. The abundance is in the obedience. And it's it's mind-blowing to see how God has arranged all of that. If only we would embrace it, right? It's an endorsement, too, though, of the seriousness of free will, of like, good heavens, we can be stubborn all the way past our deathbed even. You know, some people will say God is a gentleman and he won't force himself onto you. But he's also sovereign and he will have his way at the end. And eventually every knee will bow. And then people theorize, well, I guess every knee will bow, but then there will be the sorting, you know. And the sorting is up to God. <laughs> the sorting is his job, not your job. Jesus Christ himself gives us the end of the story. And that's what this reconciliation stuff is about. Of look, it's you don't have to be afraid of this. Fear not. You don't have to be afraid of this reconciliation stuff. It's right there at the end of this book, and it's rooted in the good news. It is rooted in the fruits of the Spirit. And if you go back over this, some of these podcasts, if you're coming here the first time, you would see then that we've gone through this progression of story, uh, narrative and story, but then that music might be this unique way into all of this stuff of the Holy Spirit visiting slaves in the field even, 200, 150 years ago, and the fruit that that then has borne. We talked about how these spirituals were the foundation of so much of American music, and then we took that through this lesson on Queen Victoria and Dvorak and this guy Harry Burley and Marian Anderson then. And this is a big deal, this Marian Anderson thing. She had this concert in front of the Lincoln Memorial. And then that turned into and inspired this 10-year-old Martin Luther King that he kept that image in his head his whole life and gave this historic speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1963. And everybody now, left and right, wants to aspire to this Martin Luther King image of not being judged by the color of our skin, but rather by the content of our character, which is, of course, true. But the path to that is through reconciling these issues, not by ignoring them. This music path might be the way to enter in in this good news gospel message. I'm really uh, fascinated, of course, because I'm invested in how music can be a tool, perhaps even a divine intervention for reconciliation. If you dig into the Bible, you find out that Satan himself, who was originally, his job was chief musician. Oh. And this is a whole other podcast, right? But yeah. 
the fact, <laughs> the fact that Satan, who was the chief musician, is the one who got prideful, right? And tries to usurp yeah. God's authority and then gets booted out. And that yeah. has been given his grief ever since that, that his job was the, the music leader. And so I, I, I don't want to go too far with that. We don't, yeah, we don't have to go too far and I won't interrupt too much, but yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, we, we, and we've seen that through these narratives that Satan does try to get in there and muck everything up. And so sex, drugs, and rock and roll is not that far away from where you're driving there that, yeah. I think you're onto something though there, right? Is that almost every pleasure that we have in life is, is like a, a substitute or a counterfeit for what God really wants for us. And he's, we've mentioned as the fruits of the spirit. What, what we're really yearning for is for God and the evidence yeah. of God is his fruit, the love, joy, yeah. peace, patience, you know, kindness. These are the things that we really long for, which are evidence of God. But we, we look for it in all the wrong places, as the song would say, looking for love yeah. in all the wrong places. And Satan, he's the great deceiver. This is the way he's described in the Bible. So he takes these things, which could be used for good, which God intended for good. And then he twists them and he turns them into these counterfeits where it gives us pleasure, but only for a short period of time, right? This short-term pain, you know, reliever, but it's not going to sustain us. So sex, drugs, rock and roll, all these things that they do feel good and they make us feel good for a moment, right. but then they become addictive or then there's this big letdown. God isn't surprised that we're, we're that we long for pleasure or that we're averse to pain. That's, that's part of the way he created us. Right. It's right. that where's the source where, where are you going to find a sustainable source of joy and love and kindness and peace and patience. It's not going to be just in the music. Music is a tool. And as we've said before, tools can be used for good or for bad. You can dig a hole and plant, or you can dig a hole and bury somebody, right? So right. It's, it's not the tool that we're after. And we replace God with the tool. It's that that's a gift for us to find out where God is. It's supposed yeah. to point us towards him. And then we make the tool, the God, instead of God, the God of the tool. Yeah. And there are such tangible lessons that can be found in this. And music is unique in this. It's not the only thing, but there's so much to be gleaned from it. It is this uniquely dynamic instruction that really, really, really touches people. And that application just comes into clarity. Like the discipline required to be a good jazz musician, Mm -hmm. you need to know how to handle Vivaldi, I've heard it said. He was an earlier classical composer who was very basic. Uh, It was very disciplined. You need to know those rudiments if you want to be a good jazz musician. So it's rooted in discipline, but then there's a freedom that comes later. That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm a a trumpet player, and that's the progression for any instrumentalist, actually for anybody who gets good at any craft, right, is that you start with the basics, whether you're learning to paint or you're learning to write or any right. sort of creative uh, endeavor, you start actually by mimicking the people who have done it before you. You have to learn your scales first, right? You have to learn your alphabet before you can write letters, before you yeah. can then create something new. So all of the things that come out of the discipline, all the beautiful things, which like the beauty of art and performing arts that have lasted the, te- the test of time. Those are people who went through all of those steps, all the time that it took to learn the basics, as you're saying, and then figure out now that I know how it works and I've mastered the craft and I know how to play the instrument and I know how to blend and I know how to, to fit in the big scheme of things. Then, like you said, then the time comes, especially in jazz during the vamp, but now yeah. I get to, 
interpret the music and express myself, my own com composition, sometimes live in the moment, improvisation is like, I'm the composer with the band playing around me. And yep. it's a transcendent experience for sure. I can tell you from, from my own experience, but I can't yep. just play whatever I want. I mean, I have yep. to play within the structure, within the scale, within, you know, whatever has been set up the beat. I, I can't just, just play whatever I want. I got to play within that structure, but I do yep. get this beautiful opportunity to create something expressive that is uniquely me and yet still fits within the entire orchestra or the entire band. Yeah, that does require this balance. Clearly, if you go too far with it, it, it becomes counterproductive or not as pleasing or um, off, wrong, whatever you, whatever word you want to use. And you can yeah. see that. And, 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 you know, certainly too, personal taste can come into this as well. But this notion of jazz as a contribution to world culture, it is enormous and it is good to dig into that story then, that history. The way that Europe responded to American jazz artists was incredible and profound. And they found relief over there, frankly. They went there and found relief from American racism. Like, it was like, oh my gosh, they love us. Uh, like Duke Ellington had these amazing tours and Louis Armstrong and, um, and Josephine Baker was a performer back in the day that comes to mind. Marian Anderson, we had mentioned, not just jazz too. You can talk about the blues and how blues became R&B and R&B flowed into rock and roll. Like the Beatles, um, many people are, can be critical of the Beatles. The Beatles were huge. They were huge. They expressly tried to say, hey, all we're doing, though, is imitating the African-American artists that came before us, like Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Chubby Checker, even, I think Paul McCartney has talked about, or Elvis Presley, for heaven's sake. Uh, they talked about Elvis Presley as being this mixture of African-American culture and then the white gospel culture. And the, that, that's why he was able to be called the king, you know. But these, these stories and these narratives, I think, bring this into focus for people. And that goes to a biblical principle that we are looking through this glass darkly, but we want, we yearn for, we pray for all the time, clarity. We want clarity. Lord, give me clarity. Help me see. One of the things I love about the music metaphor, too, and we've talked about before the difference between balance and harmony. We've talked a yeah. lot about balance already in this podcast, which is absolutely hugely important when you're balancing competing ideas. In a lot of times, what we need or what we long for isn't necessarily balance, but it's harmony. Imagine an orchestra. If everybody played all the time, it would be pretty boring, right? The symphony would be all one level of volume, yeah. and it wouldn't be all that interesting. So what happens is... Not everybody plays all the time. In fact, as a trumpet player in a symphony orchestra, a lot of times I'm just counting measures. 86, 2, 3, 4, yeah. 87, two, waiting for my turn. And then I've got a chance to, to add my flourish. But the audience experiences something much more beautiful, a much better tapestry, a much bigger flood of emotions when occasionally they hear a piccolo and then they hear a bassoon. And then there is the bombastic movement where everything does play at all the same time. And then to go to leadership, the leadership metaphor for, for an orchestra is the leader is the conductor. He might not be the best instrumentalist. He might not be the best trumpet player or the best piccolo player or the violin player, but his job is to keep all those 
personalities, all yeah. those, all that talent working together for a common goal, which is greater than any one of them could do alone. And so he keeps the time and he tells people when to be more quiet and when to, to stand out. And the conductor really is what a leader is. That's true leadership, to use the music metaphor, is to bring out the best in the team around you. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just got to keep them all going in the same direction and create something more beautiful together than they could on their own. Yeah, that is beautiful. And that points straight to like um, the body, the body of Christ and the importance of all the parts of the body. And you can see these illustrations all through like anthropology and um the looking at teamwork and looking at societies and looking how things function, organizational leadership is what you're talking about. Of how does this work? And no one part is really more important than the other. And people know this stuff, but like your big toe is like super important to your functioning. You don't want to lose your big toe. You have a hard time walking without your big toe, you know. Uh, Shakespeare had a um, phrase that he brought to life the most maybe i don't know he might have gotten it from somebody else actually you could talk about how shakespeare actually just took from all these different sources but uh the notion of a pound of flesh you know that you could trade make a deal with the devil uh, the faustian bargain and i think um it's this pound of flesh they will liposuction you can have 30 pounds but that's not quite how shakespeare was operating at the time and it was like no 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 you just gotta slice it off and it's like well that's a problem you know but that then points straight to this discipline. I mean, we could do liposuction. A better way might be, well, or I could exercise more and eat better. Right. <laughs> but so like there are these like ideas of systems theory too. And one of the big ones too is, is that if you look like a city government, the single most important function in a city might actually arguably be waste removal. The trash guys might be the most important people in the city government yeah, no doubt. and there there's rich history of and i won't go on all that but you can i mean it's what it was the last thing martin luther king did before he died actually he was helping sanitation workers in uh, memphis there's rules actually that sanitation workers are paid a lot better now because they don't want them going on strike because if they go on strike big problems in i don't know what three or four days we all suffer for we sure. all suffer pretty quickly yeah. Um, and, and you can think of that, about that, that with your own body, too. I don't want to be too crass, obviously, but waste removal is a vitally important part of our own body system, too. If yeah. something's wrong with that, that is immensely problematic very quickly. Music even has evolved over the centuries and whatnot. And, you know, it was there at the beginning, but it's also been evolving since. And processing of emotion and the ability to communicate and to take you somewhere new and that's where you find inspiration is people who are having to process hardship who are working through emotions maybe and who are expressing something all these things we've been talking about is that it can indeed be transformative and it goes then to these you know like music intervention programs all over the world even that have have led people to change their lives. And it's not about becoming a classical, you know, pianist. It's about becoming just a healthier person, you know, and 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 helping families then get to a better place where they can also then participate on that level and, and finding a different way and a different path. And it's rooted in these very tangible things of being a part of a team, but having the opportunity to perform 
It's intellectually rigorous. You're having to do math the whole time. If you do the math wrong and you come in at the wrong time, that's going to be a problem. And everybody in the room goes, ah, oh, we got to start over. You've got to find then and build to a resolution. Um, actually, let me give you that one too, Joe, that, that it's so rich and tangible that if you build something but don't finish it off, we can't stand it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorites on that, on the resolution thing is Bugs Bunny. And there's yeah. this great cartoon called What's Opera Doc, right? You hear this piano. Dun, 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 doesn't get it right. And it's just driving the conductor crazy, right? And they played right. again. Dun, 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 dun. And and you can feel the tension as you're watching it, and it just gets grows and it grows and it gets ridiculous, of course, because it's a cartoon. But it does hit exactly what you're talking about. Is there is something in our human condition we don't mind dissonance as long as there is resolution, right? Yeah. In fact, dissonance builds some emotion where we feel the angst and we and then we're longing deep inside, even as we're listening. Okay, bring that chord to a close, right? finish that off, find that resolution. Where's the harmony? And it indicates that there's something deep within us that wants resolution, that wants harmony, that we're, we're built for that, right? That God's yeah. designed us for that. Yeah. And that points to all these, all these things, you know, again, it comes to mind that Jesus gives us the end of the story and people do go to the end of the book to see how it ends. And you, we desperately yearn for that resolution, like you were saying. You know, the dissonance is that hero's journey of going through all of that stuff. And then music tells these stories, too, you know, that you've got to bring it home somehow. Jewish writers, and they may be then intuitive, this thing, where they wanted uh, this Samsonian, Davidian hero to deliver them. And that led them to develop superheroes. And we love superheroes. We want a superhero. But the difference is, is that Jesus then says, no, you have to then be a superhero too, the servant leader superhero who also is willing to bear a cross. And we just then are thankful that it's not the same cross that Jesus had to bear. But it's right. it's all, all this stuff. It's just rich and it's clear and it's focused if you will just be willing to go to this reconciliation paradigm, I think. Yeah, this is uh, always a fabulous discussion. And to see these common threads throughout history in music and in leadership and and all these different places that we've gone, these meta narratives, the stories and art. And to me, it's just evidence all around us that the Bible is truth, that, that God is alive. He, he didn't just wind up the earth and then set the clock and just stand back and say, I wonder what's gonna happen. But he's actively involved and in fact, encouraging us to, again, become the best possible versions of ourselves. And that is creative, and it's also reconciled both to our own internal angst, to our God, of course, but to each other. Love God, love your neighbor. It, it really does come down to that, that all of the things that we search for are within. God has put it there within us and shown us the path. And like you said, he makes it an invitation. It's not like you have to, because God knows, we're just like, don't tell me what I have to do. And then we get ourselves in big, big trouble. But it's an invitation. It's fascinating and, and I love it. I hope that the people who have tuned in have gained some understanding and insight of all of these threads uh, that point to reconciliation as an invitation. Well put. So on behalf of uh, Joe McCarthy and John Comfort, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, as we've said before, we honestly understand and we believe that time is a 
an invaluable and non-renewable resource. And so the fact that you spend time with us means you're not spending time doing something else. So we want to make that time valuable. And really our hope and our prayer is that this won't just be great information that makes you go, hmm, that's interesting, but it'll actually be challenging both to us and to you to go beyond our own understanding and our side of the story and to be open to other people's sides, to see other facets of the same truth and to be open to that and realize that if the puzzle's got 10,000 pieces, I might have four. And so there's a lot more to the picture there. And together we can build something much more creative, much more wonderful, much more unifying, and much more satisfying than we ever did by ourselves. Have a great day. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.